We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a much happening in the world of football it is bursting at the seams with exciting news and interesting talking points and so we're going to give you the details of arsenal nil everton nil this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is elliot smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner that's right there is almost too much happening in the world of football to discuss it all and so what we are going to discuss of course is a drab nil nil draw that is kind of a throwaway game right before Mikel arteta takes the reins at arsenal uh, i'm kidding a little bit not entirely, a little bit. We will talk some of the things happening in the wider footballing world. Um, we will, of course, talk a bit Mikel Arteta, who is uh, set to take over for real now, uh, just after Boxing Day against Bournemouth. But we are going to talk about the Everton game because this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, not the Arsenal Vision wider world of football podcast. Although, hmm, maybe we'll throw that into the Patreon bucket. Who knows? Um, but anyway... And anyway, in any event, uh, we're, we're going to do it all. We're going to do a little bit, bit of all of it. And here to do all of it with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause No My Pants. Hello, Paz. Woohoo! And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. So, Clive, who never misses a pod, WhatsApped us. I may miss this one, chaps. And there was sort of a pause. And I thought, oh, no. You know, he never misses. I wonder, I wonder if everything's okay. Should I say something? And before the thought bubble in my head could fully form, I got the follow-up. I'm drinking two beer emoji. So, so here's to you, Clive. I raise my glass to you, man. I, I hope you're having a, a good night out. It is the festive period after all, and, and we should be festive. So uh, I'm happy that that's happening, and he has definitely earned the night off. Having said that, he has not earned the night off being voted for. It is the final chance for a few things. Final chance to win 
uh, an Arsenal shirt, a year of Patreon, a year of The Athletic. All three are up for grabs at arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash win. So uh, last chance to enter for that. We'll be announcing winners for all those things coming up soon. Um, we have shirts going out to previous winners. Still, we got all kinds of stuff happening. And then last but not least, if you want to vote for one of us to sing a holiday song, probably should have been done this episode, I guess, because the holidays will be over by the next episode. But you know what? You're still going to get one. Uh, it's theathletic.com forward slash Clive PAFC forward slash Stoberto, forward slash Yankee Gunner, or forward slash Paul AFC, because they would not do positive in my pants. So last chance, you do still get the half off the athletic and a, and a, uh, a month free, but you also get the chance to uh, register your vote for, for one of us to sing to you this holiday season. So I hope you are having a blessed, wonderful holiday season, whether you are celebrating a holiday or not. Um, I just hope you're having a great time, and I hope life is going well for you. If not, maybe the best for Arsenal, but you know what? As Arsenal fans, we wish the best for one another. So let's dive into it, Tim. Um it's an interesting lineup. And I, I think my first question that I want to ask you, rather than about whether it's the right lineup, the wrong lineup, whatever you think of it, is how much of it is purely Freddie's decision or whether or not you think Arteta has had a word about it. Now, to be fair, news may have come out to uh, to that end, and I, I'm not aware of it because of just being uh, head deep in poopy diapers. But um, my poop situation aside... Not my poopy diapers, obviously, the babies. Um, do, do you suspect that Arteta had a hand in that, or is that fully Freddie rewarding uh, his young players with a, with a final start before he moves on from the, the head coaching role? So I, I think it was uh, it would have been Freddie's decision. I, I tend to think that Arteta would have just said, look, you know, you've prepared for this game all week. You know what you're doing. I trust you, blah, blah, blah. And also, I think, um, you know, there was there, there was some some leftover beef there. You know, Freddie addressed the Ozil situation, for example, where he said um, he was injured, but I wouldn't have picked him anyway. Um, and so he, he's clearly sending a bit of a message there, Jungberg. And I think that would be Jungberg. And actually, today, Arteta said in his press conference, everyone has a clean slate. I will not be judging anyone on what they've done in the past. It's what happens from now on. Um, so I, I kind of take that at face value. The only thing I guess that gives me pause for thought on that was I think Arteta said something like, um, you know, they, they did what I are. Well, not they did what I asked. I'm really paraphrasing there, but he made some reference to the fact that, you know, he wanted to see intensity off the ball, um, and on the ball, um, indeed on, on this occasion. And he said that he, he more or less saw that and he got that, whether that was because of his instruction, um, or whether he had any input or whether that was just players thinking, oh shit, the new boss is here, we better put in. Um, I don't know. But there, there was there was a change in this game, not just in the lineup. Um, and and I don't think I don't think Arteta would have uh, would have had any input into that. No, not least because it, you know he only got to the training ground on Friday, and you know he had to do all of his signing deals and meet like i doubt he'd have had an opportunity to talk to anyone until saturday because the players would have traveled up uh, by the time he was at colney so i don't think he'd have been in contact early enough to be able to do that um <clears throat> but i i do think that freddie jungberg a sending a bit of a message to some senior players and doing that fairly unapologetically which i'd say unapologetic has been very much his style in his short time in the role i I do also think in a way that maybe um subconsciously this this is jungberg going into his comfort zone a bit which sounds like a weird thing to say when Mm. you drop some quite big players and throw some academy kids in but obviously we know he knows those players he's coached those players before and to some extent he probably knows what he's going to get from them and so 
Um, I, I speculated before the game that I thought he might go with a back three because of the fullback situation. But, you know, he, he showed a lot of faith in Bukayo Saka, for example, and said, no, I'm playing you left back in a back four, uh, as he did against Man City. And actually, I think it, in the end, that proved to be perfectly legitimate. I thought Saka had an excellent game there, um, particularly defensively. So um, I, I don't think Arteta would have done that. But I'm sure we'll get into this. The way Arsenal played was fundamentally different. And whether Arteta had any input into that or whether that was a reaction to what happened at Man City, I, d- I don't really know. But it was a much more defensively sound display. It was much more aggressive. It was much more compact, uh, you know, between particularly the defence and the midfield. And we, we we clearly, we sacrificed some attacking intent to do that. But this, to me, really felt like, um, you know, the first the first little stone in the foundation, you know, the kind of right, we've got to wind this right back and we've got to start from the beginning. And usually starting from the beginning means let's let's make sure we keep a clean sheet. Let's make sure we don't get bullied. Let's kind of go back to basics. And that's what this felt like. And actually that seems like quite a good handover point to Arteta, who's talked a lot about first we need to build the basics and then we can get on to like... Um, you know, the more expansive stuff I want to do. But at the moment, you know, he's referencing things like running more and working harder. Mm. And uh, Bernd Leno, I think, said in his post-match, he didn't really talk to us much about tactics. He talked about working harder. And, you know, he obviously wants to put these basic principles in first. And I think we saw that in this game. So it'd be interesting. I, I, I suspect maybe he had a little bit to do with that. But ultimately, I just don't think he'd have been there long enough to have a massive part in this game plan. But the fact his presence might have informed it, though, at least. Yeah, and I mean, this is a tough game because you've got two teams that are really struggling, both right between managers. Um, and it, it really felt like a game where neither team wanted to give up too much to the other side and neither team was willing to really take the risk to put the other side to the sword. Paul, I you know, I, I think we deserve credit for keeping a clean sheet away, and I think that there are elements to the defensive effort that were an improvement. I'm also struggling to evaluate the performance in light of the fact that it felt a bit like the handshake draw you sometimes get at World Cups in a final group stage game, in that I just don't feel there was much attacking intent from either side. Um, do, do you... Have many takeaways from this game in terms of the actual performance, or do you feel, as I did, that it was a game sort of out of place and time for both teams in a way, and and one in which neither side looked too invested in trying to go out and win it? Yeah, um, I think that's probably about right. It was a little bit of a placeholder. I think um, both both clubs just wanted to get on to the next game. You maybe don't go out thinking that's how you're going to play, but that's... It's kind of, you can't fool the fat man and the fat man's inside you. So at the end of the day, That's a hell of a turn teams, of a phrase, by the way. I did not know there's a fat man inside me, but it makes me feel all kinds of uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know that, per, well, indeed, uh, some of us have a bigger fat man inside us than others, but it, it's that part of you that that'll take safety, comfort over risk reward. Mm. So I, I think they just kind of settled in to two so- fairly solid defensive performances. And th- this was, I mean, we had zero shots against us on target. Um, we were quite tackily, duly. We won our duels. Our centre-backs were strong. Um, uh, I mean, individual players, I thought Torreira had a really good sound game. 
um, and uh, was pretty good on the attacking end with a couple of passes too. He was he was kind of eye catching. I thought Saka was great. Um, so that's two games in a row where he has not been a weak link in our back line. Very intelligent how he played up. Some good partnering with Martinelli. Um, and I thought uh, Maitland-Niles looked pretty tidy for the uh, during this game too. And Chaka was okay. Um, uh, had lead in his boots a couple of times, but wasn't really pressed. But, you know, uh, the, the, that back... Uh, four with the the two screening them. The, it was all pretty sound and looked pretty good. So as as Tim alludes to, it's a good base to go forward with. I uh, thought the, there was a funny Freddie comment. Uh, I didn't hear him say it live, but I saw it written down. Uh, he was asked what Arteta said to the team before they went out, and he says eh, he said the same thing I said. So. <laughs> cool. Well, more of the same then. Yeah. Um, let me ask you something. I guess my... Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, one player who I think came in for a bit of criticism in this game is uh, Smith Rowe. I don't think it was a good yeah. game for him, yeah, to, yeah. to put it mildly. But what I think is interesting is, I mean, first of all, he's a kid. He is a kid. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's got no experience at this level, and he's playing surrounded by other kids. And we'll come on to that issue in a moment, because I, I do want to discuss that. But just with respect to him struggling, you could look at it as he struggled, he was bad. And that is certainly one... Uh, appropriate reaction if you want it to be. But what I think is interesting is that position, that central attacking midfield position this season has just been a mess, period. Ozil has done it best, in my view, and that's not saying much. It's a pretty low bar. Willick has tried it and not really succeeded there. We've tried to use Torreira in that role to some extent, and and I don't think that's worked. Um, We haven't really found a solution for that role. When I saw the lineup, I kind of wondered if maybe Martinelli would try it for his sort of harder running but it was Smith Rowe and it didn't work out. Is Do you find it interesting that in particular that, call it number 10 if you want, call it attacking midfield, that position has been such a challenge for us this season and and seems to be the place that we're most struggling for solution. I should mention, Ceballos has actually played it as well and, and I think it's the position that he's been worst at. So what is it about that location in the midfield on the pitch that we're struggling with most of all? Um, well, you can... Understand it in the Emery era because he's he, he's not really he, he's quite happy to sacrifice playing through the middle for playing up the wings. Um, that isn't necessarily how Arteta may play it because City did a bit of both, but certainly he doesn't have his his fullbacks always bombing forward all the time. He he really uses his forwards quite wide uh, uh, in in large chunks of most seasons. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he approaches uh, our situation at the moment. I, uh, I think you're right that we haven't had a functioning number 10 outside of Ozil. Um, I was pretty excited about Rowe getting the start here. I'm a big Smith Rowe fan, um, and it, you, you can't beat up on a kid, but he, he certainly didn't take his chance here. Yeah, I mean, look, if they're playing the in the eye. Premier League, they're fair game to at least analyze, right? People say, yeah, yeah. oh, you know, don't beat up on the kids. It's not beating up on them. If they're playing in the Premier League, it's fair to at least analyze the performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think he's one of those guys who's always caught my eye. Um, but he's, you know, he hasn't actually had many minutes this year, so this was a big game to drop him into. Um this was a very physical side they're up against. Uh, Ferguson uh, sending out a Ferguson 
mentality inside and they were very physical. Uh, I didn't think they were dirty, but they were definitely physical on it. Um, but I still thought just looking at his positioning and his body language, even in the first half, uh, I didn't really feel he was super excited about the opportunity and the chance. He, he didn't. We were very lacking movement in particular in the, the front three and the, the 10 in the first half. I'm not really sure what was going on there. They may have been given very strict instructions as to what to do. Um, the shape to keep, where to be, what to do, because it just it was very mechanical. It was very fixed. And Rowe just didn't seem like he was having much fun in that position. And he wasn't on the ball and he wasn't. Uh, so I guess I wonder if it was instruction, not instruction to play bad, but instruction to hold a very defined position and structure. And Rowe maybe may took that a little too literally. Yeah. And going forward, we do, the deck will be shuffled and everything will be different, one hopes. Um, and we'll see if we just, as you say, if that's just the, the uh, Bermuda Triangle of our team at the moment that we can't get any creativity in the in the central part, the the ten spot within our team. Yeah, and I think I, I wonder if some of it is that the hardest thing for a young player to do is not to have a structured role, but to have a free role. You know, you look at the way De Bruyne played that sort of role against Leicester, where he's given a lot of freedom to range and roam. Um, I think it takes tremendous skill and footballing intellect and experience to do that well. Because absent clear instructions of where to be, your football instincts have to take over. And when you're younger, I think it's harder to really understand how to pop up in the right pockets of space, how to get between the lines, how to make yourself available, get it on the half turn and and quickly evaluate the space and distribute, especially in a team that's a little dysfunctional and and maybe where the players aren't always exactly where you'd expect them to be. Tim, I don't want to freeze you out of that conversation, so I'm curious to get your take. Um, You know, if you're apportioning quote-unquote blame, not blame, but assigning responsibility for the kind of lackluster Smith-Rowe performance, how much of it for you is that Smith-Rowe didn't play well, and how much of it for you is systemic and has been evident at that position on the pitch all season? I I think it's mainly systemic. I think part of it is, as you say, no one's really played that role well for a little while, and I think... um, you know, look, we've said it a million times, haven't we? This team hasn't functioned since um, Aaron Ramsey got injured and then was so- uh, well not sold. Unfortunately, he went on a free uh, on a free transfer um, because I don't think we really have that kind of link player, do we? Maybe Sabios could be it. Maybe Gendouz is the closest we have. But um, you know, if 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 you're playing with a 10, you kind of need a six and an eight, you know, to to provide that link in the chain. And Arsenal don't really have that. Um, and on this occasion, they played with two sixes who kind of sat in. Um, Torreira got forward a bit more in the second half. But, um, you know, I think none of the attacking players, like I, I don't think Smithrow. So Smithrow um, has had injury problems um, and this is his first ever Premier League start. But I don't think that Abamyang, Nelson, or even Martinelli looked an awful lot more enterprising um, than him. And I, and I just think that's just because the way Arsenal played, they sacrificed a little bit of, um, perhaps a little bit of attacking flair. And plus, you know, Everton are, at the moment under Duncan Ferguson, they've, they've kind of prioritised being a more solid team. They've kind of gone back to basics as well. They've been more physical um, and so Arsenal decided to match that. And so in in many respects, I think this was just the natural product of what was 
probably a bit of a war of attrition. Mm. I'm not convinced that, say, Ozil would have done an awful lot more there. Maybe he'd have had like one moment of inspiration, but I can't remember many times where I thought, you know, Martinelli had it once in the first half when Torreira found him for that chance. But I can't, I can't remember many times where I thought, oh, there's a pass on there and you haven't seen it. You know, a lot of the time, he was kind of feeding on scraps, back to goal, just trying to keep the ball alive and keep it moving, which I think he largely did. Um, but there, there weren't many, op- there weren't many opportunities. I don't think for him to get turned and really kind of go at that Everton backline, and and I don't think that happened for Martinelli or um, or uh, Reese Nelson either. And mm. then as a result, Aubameyang <clears throat> was was totally isolated. So I, I think it's mainly a consequence. Um, of the system, but also the fact that it was Smith Rowe's first ever Premier League start and he's not played a lot of football in the last 12 months. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. And I think that it is one of these things where there is there is definitely an issue with distances in midfield, I think, for this team right now. And ball progression is a challenge. We, you know, we've talked about Shaq. I don't think we need to go into a deep dive on that here. But, you know, finding those pockets of space and progressing the ball where it doesn't have to be a 30-yard diagonal out to the wing or something like that. Um, it's just been an issue all season. And, and so we're not going to kill Smith Rowe because he's a young, very talented player who we, we have a, a hope for a bright future for, but it didn't happen for him in this day. And, and so, Tim, that leads me to another layer of analysis here, which is simply, on the one hand, you can be lauded for trying to bring young players through, and you should be. And, and our academy is filled with players we have high hopes for. I have a lot of issues, though, with this analysis. First of all, the likelihood that you are ever going to have five starters out of your academy at any given time is very, very, very remote. I mean, we've talked about this on the pod. Having one regular starter come through from the academy is a success. Like Kieran Gibbs is an unqualified academy mm. success by the standards of what you usually get from your academy. Alex Wobie is an unqualified success. You know, you very, very rarely get more than that from your academy. And when you do, it's a home run. Um, you know, you can look at Chelsea and they're playing some young players, but even there, Mason Mount's 20, Tammy Abraham's 22, and they've got guys like Kovacic and Conte and and William, you know, seasoned pros around them. So this is a long way of me getting to a question, but I am getting one, which is simply, is it healthy for kids to be getting Premier League starts surrounded by other kids and, you know, so much... Um, so much change, so much uncertainty, so much youth in the team. You've got an 18-year-old forward playing left back, a 22-year-old midfielder or winger playing right back. You've got an 18-year-old new signing at left forward, an 18-year-old uh, attacking midfielder at 10, and a, a 22-year-old or 20-year-old forward playing right wing. I mean, is this good for them to all be coming through like this, or would you prefer that the proper way to develop young talent is to have one or two players who gets you know, 30 minutes in a settled, experienced Premier League side as a sub or gets a start at home to, you know, a, a bottom place team with with nine or 10 other, you know, really senior experienced players. Which do you think is the healthier, better way to develop this kind of young crop of academy talent? Um, so I don't think that there's a clear answer to that because um, development is weird and... Um, one of one of the fundamental truths that I think um, people perhaps find either difficult to accept or maybe I maybe just don't know is that development is <clears throat> it's quite often really random from person to person and and that's whether you're a footballer or any phase of your career 
different people thrive in different environments at different times in their career and and it's so random it's like trying to bottle lightning um and I, i've done some of this work obviously not in a sporting environment but in a corporate environment i've worked in um you know talent development leadership development and things like that and and what you find is that often it's just random it's so random like you get people who at the age of 25 have traveled to almost like the top like of their businesses of their prefer well not quite to the absolute top but go really really quickly and then you come back to them 10 years later and they've gone nowhere or maybe even backwards from there for for just any number of reasons that talent development is such a random science it's so so difficult and so i think i think it's just really difficult to answer that question like sometimes like some of these players will really really benefit from it some of them really really won't and to some of them it will make absolutely no difference Mm. now i think in an ideal world you don't want them all thrown in together like this but what i will say is we did that and we asked like quite a tactically disciplined, uh, like it was quite a tactically disciplined ask. It was the kind of ask you'd usually give to older players. In fact, you'd almost, if you didn't know, you'd look at this and you'd think that Arsenal had been playing kids the last few weeks. And then they just went, right, we're away at Everton. Nil-nil's okay. Um, let's throw all the experienced guys in. But they actually did that. They did that tactically disciplined job. Um, and players who, you know, when you when you play with a little bit more defensive focus, it's funny how um, Granite Xhaka no longer looks like a clown running across across a minefield, and neither does David Luiz. Mm. And Callum Chambers looks pretty decent, and Ainsley Maitland-Niles no longer looks, you know, looks scared shitless. Like when the team's a bit more solid, those individuals look a bit more solid. Like mm. that's, you know, I, I think that's that's kind of reasonably obvious. But um, I, th- I think in an ideal world, you do the sheep dip thing. But some some people don't benefit from that. Some people benefit from being thrown in. Some from the sheep dip. Some it doesn't matter what you do. Um, they're going to develop or they're not, no matter what the environment. I happen to think at the moment um, we're we're just as well kind of testing um, some of these kids at the moment because, frankly, the results are not hugely consequential at the moment. And the worst thing we'll get from some of them is Premier League minutes, which will put zeros on their price tag if we ultimately decide that they're not up to it, um, which is no bad thing either. And I, I still think that this is a better way to go than, you know, El Nenny and Lucas Perez and players like that and throwing good yeah. money after bad. And and I agree with you. Like if one of these turns out to be like a regular first 11 player, that's fantastic. But at the moment, if we can get four or five of them as squad players, um, I think that's, that doesn't just make economic sense in the financial sense. I think, I think it's really good uh, squad building practice. And the worst thing that will happen is that, you know, one or two of them will be marginally not good enough, maybe like Alex Awobi, and and we'll get money for them. So I, I don't think there are really any downsides to doing this at the moment. Yeah, I think the thing you get better at as you get older in life period is just navigating uncertainty and chaos. And like the younger you are, the more structure is really important. I mean, spoken like a parent, yep. I know, but I, I think that's true in careers. I think you see it you know, the best people in any industry as they rise to the top are able to flourish even in the most challenging and chaotic circumstances and, and younger people need a little more structure. And so 
I don't know, Tim, that it's necessarily an issue of, you know, should they all be playing together or should you be betting one in at a time or anything like that? It's more the case that, like, having a manager who clearly was, you know, in over his head and then having an interim caretaker manager, you know, and then the other, the new manager sitting in the stands and then mm. you're in the team sometimes with senior players and sometimes you're not and sometimes you're playing uh, wide forward and sometimes you're playing fullback. Like, of course. Y- yeah. They, they did, I would say that, Certainly, tactically, they did have structure this time. They had real structure, and that's probably the first time they've had it in quite a long time. So, yes, I think the background stuff is is obviously fairly rocky. Um, but actually, tactically, on the pitch, which is what matters the most, this this was probably the first time in a long time that they actually did have structure and they actually did have um, proper instructions and the team was a bit more solid and it was less free form and and that's probably why we got the performance we got and they all looked you know none of them looked absolutely amazing but they all looked pretty okay yeah and to be fair i mean i'm not just talking about the young kids here like it's not like the other senior players are thriving in this situation you know like shaka's not improving and Torreira's, you know struggling although I, th- I think he's been better of late and yeah you know you could take the other approach too which is just look if any of these players are the future Messi, 18-year-old Messi could have been thrown into any team and would have been the best player on the planet. And sometimes you just have to throw these players out there and the, the cream rises to the top. Paul, what, what's your take on this? I mean, is there is there a right way to be betting in this crop? I think what makes it unusual is I don't know that we've ever had so many players at one time from the academy that are simultaneously so highly rated and also so close to the first-team squad. Yeah, I mean... What's a little bit unique in this situation compared to uh, Arsenal of before over the last decade or other teams in the league right now is we have a need and we have the kind of coach who wants to do things very specifically, very detailed, uh, very precise and maybe somewhat counterintuitive for more established players. So. Arteta is going to want going to ask these players to do things they've never been asked to do before. We suspect to play in ways <clears throat> and for the team in ways they haven't done before, and it's going to be pretty good for him to have uh, a bunch of young players eager to learn, eager to impress, eager to find ways to to get minutes on the pitch by following instructions to the letter, um, and some older players. <clears throat> who've had success playing different ways and while they're trying to buy in their instincts are stream are screaming <clears throat> you know this doesn't work for me or this isn't how i look good whether it's a pepe whether it's a david luis you know they they have all of this you know lacazette obamiang they have careers they have agendas they have their next move um <clears throat> it's a little harder for them to to give up everything they've known and play for the team so I think this will be very useful to Arteta specifically, not just for the player, but for for the the young player to push the experienced player. So you get that competition. You know, if Kalasinac doesn't want to buy into this weird thing, Arteta is trying to do, get him to do a full back. Uh, I'm darn sure Saka is going to be doing it to the letter. So I think it'll work for us. Uh, I think these players are all at an interesting uh, point in that. Uh, very young players have actually gotten a reasonable number of minutes in the last few months. Um, I agree with your overall point, which most of these guys won't work out. Not at least not at the level we're hoping them to. They to won't, do. All, they be won't all be stars. Is the point? Uh, you, you know what I mean? It just doesn't work. No, that way, yeah. but they do all look 
um, at least squad level capable um, and competent. And it to, might to be, be fair, just... they look that way in an Arsenal team that's sitting soundly mid table. But I, I, I agree. I'm just saying, like, we'd need to see what a functional Arsenal side looks like to to really evaluate yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. But you're at where you're at, crawl, walk, run. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they'll be very useful for us where we're at. Um, and, you know, you look through the four names on the pitch, Saka, Martinelli, Rowe and Nelson, who were kids. And you, it's hard not to see Martinelli and Saka making it and maybe even becoming starters. Um, uh, Nelson, a very good general all-around player who could be a, an excellent squad player for us. And Rowe, well, we don't know. Some of us think he's a, a star in the making, but to, that wasn't his day. But he's certainly a very capable all-rounder. So I think those are, you know, they're not quirky players who have won superpower or whatever. They're, they're all good on the ball. They're good, they all use the ball well. So I think he, uh, those are the kind of players a coach like Arteta can do something with. And uh, at least they've had a few minutes, so they're not like uh, deer in the headlights. Yeah, and I mean, look... Nelson is a great example of how unpredictable youth development is because he had a couple hot months in Germany and suddenly the discussion was Nelson or Jaden Sancho, you know, who's better. But like, um, and that's not to say that Nelson is washed up at all or, or won't make it, but it's the point that in a short span of time, I think we've come to see Saka and Martinelli and maybe a couple other players, even Willock, who came out of nowhere, starting to be seen as, as ahead of him in terms of potentially making it as an Arsenal player. So these things change very, very quickly, especially because the... You know, the attention span these days is very short. So we don't say, did the player have a good season? We say, did the player have a good month or even game? Um, Tim, before we move on and start talking Arteta and some of the wider wider world of football stuff, I want to talk about the subs. So mostly I, I looked at this game as a throwaway because it really did feel that way. But given, now you, you don't have kids, but I assume you, you know the game that kids play, like the floor is lava. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? So like, like they yeah, can't touch yeah. the floor, you know, so like they have to jump from couch to couch or whatever, like, cause the floor is lava. Um, in the premier league right now, they're playing a game. That top four is lava. So n- none of the big clubs want top four, right? Like United don't want it. Spurs don't want it. Chelsea don't want it. Then they do want it maybe. And Arsenal certainly don't want it. Like because everybody's playing top four is lava. This game still did kind of have importance to us. I mean, Everton were there to be beaten and we didn't beat them. And that's where I have to turn from. Okay. Nice lineup, a lot of kids, a lot of effort, a lot of endeavor, a lot of compactness, played well defensively, focused on that. But then towards the end, you have to start to round the final bend and, and you know, head for the home stretch and try to win this. And mm. we didn't particularly try to do that, um, in in my view. The Lacazette for Aubameyang sub, I kind of get. I mean, if we if we believe we play better with one up front, that's fine. Although I don't know that Lacazette was any better than Aubameyang. But the Willick for Smith row sub and no third sub and no use of guys like Ganduzi and certainly Pepe, I think, is the eye-catching one, for mm. me, were questionable. How, um, I don't want to say angry or upset, but like, how curious do you find and pointed do you find the substitutions that he did and did not make? And are you somewhat frustrated by the fact that we weren't a little more aggressive in trying to get the three points? Yeah, I, th- I think they were very pointed, uh, just like the Man City subs did something very, very similar. Um, and, you know, with with Pepe, as much as I've been slightly frustrated because I've just been thinking, like, for fuck's sake, just let him play. <laughs> Please just let him play. Like, if nothing else, this team has got so little going for it at the moment. Like, having a guy who's a bit of an... In- like, I think we can accommodate, like, an individual at the moment, you know? 
Um, I, th- I think we're that broken that we probably need it. If if we were like a nicely functioning team, then yeah, I you know, I understand how like sometimes a maverick or whatever can cause you problems. But at the moment, I just think oh, we really need that. But to be fair, you know, it's it's the same with Urzel, right? Like um, this is two different managers now who've ha- who've sat Pepe down. Um, so there must be something going on. Um, but as for bringing him and then not being willing to use him, I mean, I kind of just think don't bring him. Like if you're not going to bring him on at nil nil with like 10, 15, 20 minutes to go or whatever, like, like when are you going to bring him on? Like what's I mean, it would have been interesting to see what he'd have done if we'd have gone one nil down um for example but then again we could have gone one nil down in like the 88th minute and then what do you do um yes i i kind of agree i I think we could have been a bit more aggressive i think after you know 70 75 minutes i think you can go right you know we've we've won our duels here we've gone like toe to toe we've been nice and aggressive we've stopped them getting in our in our area let's go and try and win it now and you know even if we're not thinking top four um top six you know, we as fans might, you know, because very few of us actually enjoy the Europa League might think, oh, be perfectly happy not to be in that next year. You know, for the for the club, it's important. Well, and Swiss Ramble just put out, I mean, I think we, we took in about 39 million from it last season. We were second most behind only yep. Chelsea, who were at like 46 million. It's, you know, again, there we are putting on our accountancy degrees again, but that that stuff matters. Not to mention that yep. it's chances to bet in young players. It it attracts some players. It it, yep. it helps you you know get get minutes into the squad. I mean, I I see how it can wreck your domestic, um, your domestic campaign. But I also see ways in which it can be very valuable for development. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, Chelsea finished third and won it last year, so you know it can be done. Um, but yeah, like in terms of getting it, I'm I'm pretty sure that Mikel Arteta has not been told fuck it, mate, rest of the season's a write-off, don't worry about it. I'm pretty sure he's been told, look, we won't sack you if this doesn't happen, but we still really want you to get in the top six, and that's got to be the aim, uh, which I think is absolutely right. So even if we're not, even if we think the top four is too far away, the top six isn't. Um, and therefore, yeah, you can, we, we're not, you know, if that's the aim or the realistic or adjusted aim, then we're not in a position to really throw points away. And actually, this season, we, we haven't actually lost that many games. It's, it's the amount of games we've drawn that has been a real issue. That's where, like, did I read, like, we've lost as many games as Man City or something mm. um, in the league? But it's just because we keep drawing. Uh, we keep throwing away those two points. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying we threw away points here. But I really think even 10 minutes of Pepe um, on for Nelson or someone like that, like because Nelson, he, you know, he was working well enough. But it, it, I mean, it, he wasn't going to get us a goal. He wasn't going to make us a goal. He wasn't going to score us a goal. Um, Martinelli, you know, he picked up an injury during the game. And I, I don't think he was quite himself after that. And in fact, today we've been told that he's a doubt for Bournemouth. So, you know, there'd have been every reason to to take him off as well. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think we could have been like, you know, like you say, I'm fairly happy with, you know, doing what we did for 70, 75 minutes, but I, I really think we could have gone for them at the end. And I think bringing Pepe on would have been a really good way of trying to do that. And, and again, it would have been great for Pepe if it had come on and made that kind of match winning difference. Well, and this is the problem 
and it was the problem for Emery, and it, it, it's the problem briefly for Freddie, and it will become the problem for Arteta too when you make these kinds of moves that are presumably disciplinary or sending a message for one reason or another. Um, Paul, when Pepe has played, I think he's looked pretty good. And when Pepe has not played, I don't think the players who have played in his stead have looked better. And it reminds me of sort of the Ozil situation last season where Emery tried his hardest to freeze Ozil out, but it wasn't until he brought him back in that the squad started to click a little bit and then inevitably didn't. Same with Ramsey. And this season, again, you know, was sitting Ozil down, was freezing him out, but felt compelled to bring him back in because the other players weren't solving the problem. I'm curious to get your take on... Whether, you know, I mean, we don't know what the reason is necessarily that Pepe isn't playing beyond some nebulous idea of he doesn't train hard enough that none of us can quantify, but we've sort of kind of think we've heard that being said in, in various ways from two different managers. What is the right balance between sending a message to a player and cutting off your nose to spite your pl- face when that player could be helping you? Yeah, no, it's it's very difficult. We We saw it with Emery. Uh, if if uh, Freddie had a couple more games, he'd be running out of players. I mean, look at the players he has not played while making comments about people not making the effort in in practice and, and playing the ones who did. I mean, Lacazette sat out a bunch of games. Luis has been sitting on the bench. Pepe has been, been sat more than played. Um, Chaka plays every game. <laughs> the The best trainer the guy that everybody says you know kind of really follows the plan really trains hard it'll be interesting to see him popping up in arteta's lineups on a regular basis so um you know you run we have a deceptively thin squad when you get down to it between uh young players who maybe aren't always ready and can't play every game older players um and injured players uh, and within the older players, we have apparently issues that are on an ongoing basis. And I do. So how do you do it? I mean, Emery ran out of players real quick. Um, as you said, we're particularly thin in the creative areas. Uh, we have very few goal scorers. So, you know, how much can you do uh, to a Pepe, a Lacazette or a Nozel before you have to call back on them again? On the other hand, you can't you have to have a, a base level, a standard. And if there's one thing that's very clear from Arteta's very refreshing uh, press conferences and conversations is, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. It's my way or the highway. I'm going to get maximum effort out of everybody in training or on the pitch. <clears throat> so if we saw the others running into trouble, Arteta's, I think, to a much greater degree at risk of, running out of players in certain spots real quick. Um, unless you can sell it, unless you can get people excited, unless people you, you can get people on board. There's no reason for all these players not to want to buy in, whether you're Pepe or Lacazette or whatever. Um, and so the art is to play them enough that they feel involved. But um, obviously, you like if you take the Lacazette-Obamiang problem, is he going to play with... Um, two strikers, one striker. How does he keep them involved, engaged? I mean, there's a he- he's got a heck of a lot of his on his plate to keep these players excited, engaged. You know, they're going to have a lot of fatigue. This is, you know, we've kind of had two Emery's. We had last season's Emery, uh, which was mediocre, and this season, which was a a bomb after an exciting 
uh, summer. So they're going to feel like that's a managerial change. You've got Freddie coming in and then going out again. Um, that's going to have been very stressful and have a toll on the players. And people may not care about stress, but it shows up in their attitude to the next manager who walks through the door. So uh, Arteta will invigorate them, but some of these guys are going to be like their heads on a swivel. Every, you know, new instructions, different approach. Also think it's intriguing. I don't know how I feel about Freddie being on the coaching staff. I mean, in principle, I love it. And I, I think Freddie deserves it. And I think he's a great guy. And I think Arteta needs him. And we need players like that kept around the club. But it seems like Freddie has, in a very short period of game, um, taken some very harsh stands with mm. some players, right or wrong, and now he's one of three coaches they're going to be facing on day. And, you know, Arteta can say it's a, it's a fresh start and all that kind of thing. But that's going to be an interesting vibe. I mean, we can't have it both ways. We can't say it's, it's going to be really good for those young players because they have that relationship with Freddie. Um, but the older players where he's basically fallen out with them and called them no good SOBs, um, He's going to be, you know, Monday morning, there he is on the training ground taking sessions with these guys. And not like just any other assistant manager, he was just a manager. So he, he's going to be quite, you know, he's going to have a position on things. And uh, whether he can say too much, it'll come across in his attitude. So I think that's an interesting dilemma there. But it sounds like they've made their choice and he's part of the team. So, um and and the the problem with it is either way we'll never know what's going on so i guess we just got to let that one go and trust they work it out with themselves yeah i mean i guess the question becomes how do you create a fresh start free from the baggage that existed during emery's period if you keep a guy on who both for part of the season was Emery's assistant. And then for part of the season was the disciplinarian who maybe took hardline stances with certain players. If he's still around, how do you convince these players? Everyone's getting a fresh start with me. If there's a guy standing next to you who you clearly don't have a fresh start with. So and I and who kept yeah. picking kids in your place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point. Let's do this. Let's sell some underwear and then come back and talk about what we expect from Arteta uh, immediately as he takes over an Arsenal tweet that made me tumescent. Uh, and that is a perfect lead-in to lingerie. Um, and then maybe just some of the wider world of football stuff. A uh, little Shaden Freud laughing at uh, Spurs and United. And we will also touch on the issue of racism in football uh, briefly at the end here. So we'll take a break. We'll uh, sell you some sexy underwear. And then we'll come back and talk about Arteta right after this. Stay with us. All right, it's time to tell you about our friends at The Enclosed. That's right, Enclosed Lingerie is back, and we are thrilled to have them back for the holiday season because it's just in time for you to get something for your partner. Forget the flowers and the sweaters or something like that, especially a gift certificate. Now you can get them high-end luxury lingerie from The Enclosed. You don't have to wander through a mall awkwardly. You don't have to worry about the fit or the quality because it's always going to be backed by a perfect fit guarantee. And we can get $35 off your multi-month purchase just by using Arsenal at checkout. Just go to enclosed.gifts. That's easy enough. Enclosed.gifts. Be a holiday hero. Get her what she wants. It's something that's great for the relationship. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be high-end and fit perfectly every time. And then every month, you can look forward to that thing that is going to bring you closer together with that special person. So, enclosed.gifts is the site. Arsenal is the checkout code. Go there now to save $35 off any monthly, multi-month purchase. Enclosed.gifts. Do it now. 
Okay, we're back. And now that we have sorted you out uh, in terms of undergarments, let's uh, undress you with our mouths. <laughs> what? Uh, by talking about Mikel Arteta taking over and uh, some of the initial lessons that he is trying to instill. Um, Tim, Arsenal tweeted out a video less than an hour ago of Arteta taking over a session of training. And the quote, four things, ball, teammate, opponent, space. That's all we're going to be working on. I love this. If I could marry an instruction from an Arsenal coach, it would be this. Ball, teammate, opponent, space. I I know it sounds too easy and it sounds facile to say it, but like that's what we suck at. Receive the ball. Be aware of your teammates. Know where the opponent is on the pitch. Be cognizant of the space between you and your... Distances. Collect the ball. Turn. Distribute. Like, that's what this little training video is, too. And you can see what he's educating, what he's teaching. Here's how you receive it. Here's how you give it. Here's how you receive it. Here's how you give it. It sounds so basic, but in a nutshell, Tim, especially in the middle of the park, isn't that exactly what this team needs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Big time. And um, this is where I'm going to make... uh, the, uh, my comparison again with the with the women's team because this is um, every time I speak to Joe Montemore, this is this is what he talks about, right? He he has this phrase like formations are for football journalists. He says like we don't work with formations, we work with the principle that when you get the ball, you should have a teammate in space. I love that, and then. When that teammate gets the ball, they should find another teammate in space. And if that means the left winger coming over to the right, that means the central midfielder coming over like that, that's all fine. But the whole principle is we move the ball through the thirds, we find someone in space and they like, so you're thinking two, three, four moves ahead. And it's all kind of like snooker, like you're working your way around the snooker table. And uh, and you're right that that's incredibly basic fundamental stuff. But you know how long have we been just freestyling um, in terms of our attacking play? Um, years, years, even mm. you know towards the end of the Wenger reign, it's just can someone do something a bit inspirational and off the cuff? And it just remind I, I just love that analogy Arteta used in one of his opening maybe his opening press conference where he said something like, um, you know, if you know which glass the cupboard's in, you get your glass of water much more quickly than if you don't know. And it's it's just such a simple principle, but it, like absolutely this kind of <clears throat> it and and I'm I'm encouraged and enthused by what by pretty much everything he said to be honest. But you know about where he, at the moment he seems like really focused on the basics. Um, and again, this is a conversation I have with uh, with Joe Montemoro, who took over an Arsenal team who had completely lost their way, lost their identity, lost their confidence. They were a bit of a mess. And he said, you know, I spent the first six months just building the basic principles and he didn't change the lineup too much and he never really changed the formation. And once he got six months in and then he got his pre-season, then he started making those tweaks. And now sometimes he switches between a back three and a back four. And, you know, sometimes players play on the left or the right, depending like, but he didn't do that at first. At first he was like, I had to put basic foundation and the basic principles in and it, and it looks to me like that's what Arteta wants to do and and that's why um you know your opening question about how much influence or otherwise Arteta might have had over over the Everton game I mean I don't know but it, it kind of felt like it felt like a, a bit of a back to basics performance which it, which is probably what we needed 
Um, and yeah, you're right. Like just just getting back to that opponent's ball space rather than getting bogged down in, um, you know, what, what like just putting your game plan entirely around the opposition and frightening everyone about um, about how great they are and how they're going to tear you up and. And, you know, we were at, at that stage and now we've even gone beyond that stage where we just don't know what we're doing. It's not that we're too anxious or anything like that. I think it started that way at the beginning of this season. We got too anxious and maybe a bit confused. Now we've just got to a stage where, like, you know, like like, like we've it's like we've been presented with a pair of earphones and they're tangled up and we've been trying to untangle it. And now we're just in complete knots. And what we actually need is just a pair of scissors and yeah. start again. Just cut it up. Uh, and start rather, again. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. Like you, I, I'm very enthused by that. Yeah. And I mean, it's because also at the end of the day, look, the, the better the players, the better they can play those passes to those teammates who are in space, or maybe they pick, the more progressive pass instead of the safer one. I think one of the things, though, that has been such a feature of our game is that the distances have been so wrong that players are getting the ball. I mean, we saw this with Shaka. I don't think it was the Everton game. It was whatever it was before that, where he'd get the ball. Uh, the West Ham game was the one that I, th I think I'm thinking of where Torreira wound up having to take more responsibility for progressing it. But he'd look up, and there wasn't an obvious pass. There was no one close. There was The distances weren't right. And so he's either going backwards or you're playing 40-yard diagonals. You shouldn't have to play a 40-yard diagonal to progress the ball. And that's not to say you should mm. never play one. But we just haven't mm. given teammates the right distance, the right space, the right option. We're not moving the ball quick enough. And I, I think, you know, what what was Freddie's first game that he took over? Where Norwich. Yeah, Norwich. We started out really well, if I remember correctly. And the one thing that I just noticed was the ball was moving a lot more crisply. And that's something that we just have to get back to. Players knowing where the teammate's going to be, understanding space, and giving the ball quicker. So, yeah, focus on those fundamentals. Paul, for the for the Bournemouth game, we have really no idea what to expect. Um, we touched on this a little bit last pod, sort of just total prognostication about you know what he could do or what he might do. But do you want to just quickly, before we move on to some of the other things happening ar around the club and around the world of football, things you'll be looking for specifically with the Bournemouth lineup, the way we set up, the way we play, um, that you're interested to observe right off the bat for his first game? Um, well, I mean, he's given us no clues what he's going to do. Um, it, it was quite interesting listening to the press conference because if, if it had been Emery, we'd have been having a meltdown because he spent a lot of time or he spent enough time saying, uh, first thing he says is we need to nullify the competition. Um, we need to basically go out with a picture of what they do and where they play. So it's funny, isn't it? It's, uh, there are, it, it's the subtleties. It's whether it's what do words really mean, but you listen to a press conference with him and you come away with the, with a, a buzz from it. And it's just the invigoration it's given us, uh, just in the approach. And you think that's going to be infection. Well, it's, to be fair, team. also, you, you go on track records, right? So, I mean, like, I think even before yeah. Emery showed up at Arsenal, I would argue that he had a track yeah. record for slightly, you know, for, for playing nullifying football, whereas we don't know Arteta's track record, but we know that his ideas have been wedded to Pep's ideas for the last several seasons, and there's no nullification going on there. That's that's front-footed football. Well, exactly. So we're projecting. It, it is the, it, yeah, is the way the opposition plays uh, something to fear, or is it opportunity? And it's, you know, you, you portray understanding the enemy 
as the opportunity. Here's where we're going to find space. Here's where we're going to find a chance to hurt them. Um, But if it comes across to us like that, you know it's coming across to the players and they're they're going to be excited and, and and charged up. I do I did have this thought watching the press conference. Oh, we don't because he's so young, fresh face, so full of life. I hope we don't do to him what uh, America did to Obama, where you go in one end and you come out this wizened, gray, uh, chiselled uh, old fella as we suck the life out of the, the poor guy. But now it's uh it's great listening to him talking about it though when you try to discern the differences between him and an Emery approach as you say it's more what they come into it with and um you, you got to believe Arteta is going to take a more enterprising approach but we're going to play away from home again I guess against Bournemouth is that right Mhm um so we may be again looking for a very solid approach but Bellerin um, is back in training. Sabias is back in training. Uh, so there's a couple of options there. Ganduzi, a, a, a player I didn't mention in the list of people who haven't got a lot of time under Fred, Freddie. That, that's a very interesting one, but he's kind of, he has not been first choice either. So Arteta is going to come into this having seen one lineup, but having a whole bunch of interesting players on the bench, Lacazette, Pepe. I have no idea what he's going to do. Um, so uh, I wouldn't even begin to hazard a lineup against Bournemouth. I mean, it's just what you can say about it is it's a massive clean sheet and we've no idea how he's going to tweak it. I mean, you you can't take the lineup against Everton and say that's your starting point because that in itself was one end, one extreme end of the spectrum where we played four kids. I mean, yes, probably Saka is going to be playing on that side. But if Bellerin's back and you have Maitland-Niles, you have two much more experienced fullbacks where Maitland-Niles has played on the left. So uh, just one example of who the heck knows, is he really not going to play Pepe? I mean, can you, can he look at those players and say, um, you know, as he did, uh, it's a clean sheet, fresh start with everybody. And then he puts Pepe on the bench. So I think, you know, the, it will, will revert to a more um, likely uh, on paper lineup of Pepe, uh, Aubameyang up front, um, Martinelli on the left. Uh, Midfield is going to be really interesting. He's got a fa- Torreira has been the best of them lately, I think. Uh, but Genduzi hasn't had much of a lo- look in. So does he? Does he put Ozil in at the ten? I have no idea. Mm. Um, sorry, but I just think. I don't even know how you begin to guess what he'd do. Well, there, there's another issue, too, that complicates it, which is whatever lineup he puts out for Bournemouth, you could say, oh, this is what he's intending to do. It could also be a lineup he's putting out with an eye towards the fact that we play Sunday, Wednesday, Chelsea United. And yeah. so he may be looking at the Bournemouth game as a chance to mix and match some players that aren't first choice for him to be able to play his first choice in both the Chelsea and United games. And Tim, this is why I also have questions about Arteta's influence on the selection for Everton. Because Arteta may have said to Freddie, hey, go ahead and play a lot of the kids. Because Bournemouth away, Chelsea home, United home. I I need to win those Chelsea and United games. And 
they just can't all play every game. So feel free to play the kids and play them the whole way and rest up some of the, I mean, Pepe had a knee knock that he was over, but maybe, Hey, let's get him fully fit. Um, you know, let's, let's rest up Ganduzi cause I'm going to use him for both Chelsea and United. This is the problem this time of year. It's hard to interpret what selections mean because they could mean a player's out of favor. It could just mean the player's very much in favor and being saved for another game. So, with that in mind, do we have to be careful about what we take away from his Bournemouth selection, realizing that any possible remote hope for a top four finish probably depends on us beating Chelsea and United at home Sunday, Wednesday? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. But um, I'm, I'm, I, again, we're guessing, aren't we? But um, I'm not sure he'll view it like that because we can't really throw points away and Bournemouth's a very winnable game. And, you know, if we're going to have any chance of the top four, we've probably got to win all three of those games, quite frankly. Every, every game, quite um, frankly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and even then, it's, you know, um, if we do that, it's no longer impossible, but probably still not going to happen. Well, you never know, actually. Um, so I think, but think, I think you're pretty you're definitive right. there. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right, though. I think, look, ultimately, I, I wrote something about this today. This next few months, I think we've got to be careful about how much we do judge. We've touched on some of the reasons. This squad actually isn't that deep. So I'm, uh, probably quite a lot of us are getting quite excited, thinking, yes, he's going to wield the axe. He's going to get rid of the wastrels. Well, he's probably going to need those players <laughs> until at least the end of the season. It's going to, I mean, it will take him in reality a few transfer windows to do everything he wants to do. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is even players who don't have a long-term future under him, they're going to play plenty of games this season because we haven't got any choice. So he's not going to go in there and just go like, right, you know, Homer Simpson style and be like, Ozil, you're cut, Xhaka, you're cut. You know, he's he's going to have to play those guys at some point. What, what I think really does interest me is, you know, Arteta said everyone's got a, a clean slate um, from now, but I, I, I wonder how clean... Because, look, you, I mean, you go into a job, he must have opinions about those players, whether they're, um, you know, whether they're extreme or how much he's going to act on them. He must have ideas in his head about some of those players already. And he might well go in thinking, well, look, you know, uh, let, let's take Ozil, for example. He might be thinking, do you know what? I don't think Ozil's long for this team. And he might act on that straight away and just say, yep, I've played with you. Everyone knows who you are. Um, I don't need to find out that much about you and you don't fit what I want. He might not. He might say, well, actually, no, you really do have a clean slate um, and I'm going to play you. I'm going to play you until such time that you prove you shouldn't be in the team or whether it will be a mixture of the two. Do you know what I mean? Because it's impossible to come into a job and everyone has an absolutely clean slate. You obviously have opinions about these players and, you know, and and that's going to inform his first starting lineup, right? He's not. And, and Tim, how many times have Ozil or Pep and Arteta sat down and, for example, looked at the yep. Arsenal lineup and prayed Ozil was in it because that's, yep. you know, or whatever, right? Or maybe they feared him. Maybe they're like, oh my God, if they use Ozil the way he should be used, we're in trouble. So, like you say, they have. He has a very clear view of what he, uh, of all the players, of what he thinks of Ozil, and and whether he can or cannot be. There's no way he's coming in there with a. Well, we'll see how it goes. He might have a. We'll see how he responds to my very specific 
instructions mm-hmm. to to play in a very particular way that I think he can be useful to us. But that, as you say, that's a very short rope he's on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, um, to kind of take it away from Ozil a bit, you know, the centre-backs, for example, does he play Luis and Socrates? Uh, Chambers is suspended, of course. What does he think of those guys? He, you know, he doesn't not have an opinion on David Luiz and Socrates, you know, like he's he's not. And, and that would be stupid. You know, he's not like coming into this completely tabula rasa. Like he knows who these players are. He knows who where they play and how they play and that's how he's got to so, so really it's not a question of everyone having a like if he came in with a clean slate like that would literally be he doesn't know who these players are um it it's how clean the slate is um that i think will be really really interesting i think it will be really interesting because there are going to be some guys who are going to turn over in this squad and 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 actually one of the things other things he's got in his favor is he's further down that road than Emery was because guys like our late prime high earners like Abamyang, like Ozil, like Lacazette, even like Mikatarian is out on loan. They're much closer to the end of contract now. Ramsey's already gone. Like Emery inherited some of those situations where he's got Ozil who's just signed a contract. You know, Abamyang's like a new player, Mikatarian's a new player. You know and that makes things a bit more difficult. Whereas with Arteta, he knows already that those guys are nearly out the door. Just just by dint of their age, they are nearly out the door. So he doesn't have to worry about them for that much longer. He has to worry about replacing them. So actually, politically, I think that's slightly easier for him to handle. So the, the thing I'm really interested in until the end of the season is some of these players who we know are on the brink and maybe even like a Granite Xhaka and someone like that, like... How how are they treated? How how involved are they? How much rope does he give them to hang themselves? I I think that's the thing I'm really looking at because I really don't know. I don't know either, which is a comfy position for me because I'm quite used to it. But what I do know is that he'll have to make a decision about the center forward, whether to play both of them, whether to play one of them. But one thing that has been clear, Paul, there seems to be this thought percolating among some Arsenal fans now that Aubameyang is a problem character. Um, his brother made an Instagram comment that was critical of the Arteta appointment. We don't know if that's from the mouth of Aubameyang himself. I don't think it'd be the first time that a family member said something related to a a player's situation that was not echoed in sentiment by the player themselves, so we don't know. Um, But Aubameyang has participated in some shenanigans on social media a lot because that has two for that matter uh, again a lot of this is sort of tangential stuff that we latch on to as fans that we don't know how important it is in the dressing room or to the coach what we do know is from Arsene Manger to Unai Emery to Freddie they've all picked Aubameyang when the chips are down and someone has to play Aubameyang has played either out on the wing with Lacazette or up front without Lacazette but he's always played um I have a twofold question here but let's just start first and foremost with the question of Aubameyang's sort of behavior if you want to put it that way are you starting to worry at all based on body language, output, work rate, social media behavior, any of it, that Aubameyang has lost interest in his time at Arsenal? Or do you feel that we can still get a lot from him the rest of the way? Um, I'm worried about Aubameyang, but not for that reason. I, I mean, regardless, Aubameyang's going to want to play and play well, whether he sees his future at Arsenal or elsewhere. <clears throat> um I do think if he wanted to have walked back his brother's comments, he could have. He doesn't have to punch his brother right right in the nose in public, but he could have said, 
hey, my, my brother has his own opinions. Those aren't my opinions. He could have kept a very low profile <clears throat> or high profile. So it's a bit troubling that your captain is doing that stuff. Um, and well, that well was it's, it's an error. Yeah. If it's an error, it's an error of omission, not action, right? The, om, om, the omission of uh, a distancing comment, not the actual behavior itself. Yeah. You, you yeah. see what I'm saying, right? Like he, I, I as far as we know, he didn't write the, the social media post that was written by no, his brother. So, but right. I think it's an error of commission. That'd be my, okay. my suspicion. I, uh, I, I think there's no way it happens that, and he doesn't walk back that he's not fine with it. And he wasn't making a statement. I think it was a shot across the bows. Uh, he wasn't enjoying the, the Freddie era. He's pissed off about the Emery era. But what does it mean for us going forward? Hey, it really will be a clean sheet. Um, I suspect that the main reason Aubameyang has bad body language, looks out of sorts, etc., is because the guy gets no service. I mean, Exhibit A, Everton. Um, he got one, two good chances, didn't take them. But outside of those, he got nothing. Um, he can't be enjoying his football. He can't be enjoying being at the club right now. Um, but it all changes from here forward because the one thing Arteta is going to be all about is creating uh, a network to play around our strikers, presumably Aubameyang, uh, to get them in positions to be successful, to get him chances. And he'll cheer up massively and start enjoying his football if that works. So it's all part of the one thing. Um, had it been another coach or another situation, I'd be very worried. Um, but everything to, to do with Arteta comes up roses for me. I, I think his philosophy is going to suit Aubameyang. I think he'll enjoy his final six months of the year as much as as uh, of the season as much with Arteta as he could with any coach. So I think it becomes a self-solving problem. I, I think Aubameyang likes to play football, likes to be a, a successful attacking striker, and there's no surprises as to why he was massively pissed off even if he didn't handle it very well. Yeah. Big question mark as to whether he would be the right captain going forward. I mean, that'll be another decision for Arteta, does he just leave things as they are for the next six months? Does the captain thing really matter? Does he need another captain drama? I think he probably leaves it alone. Um, and he feeds Aubameyang and he cheers up and gets excited about his football and becomes our talisman. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? Because winning can fix everything. I mean, Mohamed Salah yeah. and, and uh, Sadio Mane got in a fight, like recently, because Salah didn't pass to Mane. Like, this is a team that's going to conquer everything, and their two forwards are fighting because they want to score goals. Tim, I think sometimes what we forget is, like, strikers be happy when strikers be scoring. You know what I mean? Like, um, this yeah, is a guy yeah. who cared that he got the golden boot. That mattered to him. I think you could see it matter. I mean, he tied for it, but I think it was important. He wants to score goals. You know, he's a flashy striker who likes to yeah, score yeah. goals, and that that's what he's about. So, you know, I mean, sometimes... This stuff is a disruption, and and these guys are are moody and bad for the locker room or dressing room, whatever you want to call it. Sometimes, this is just how they're wired. You know, strikers can be prima donnas. In yeah, the yeah. in the NFL, there's a position called wide receiver, and all the top wide receivers are just complete mental cases. <laughs> you know, the best ones just they're yeah, yeah. they're mental cases because they're the guys that you know catch the long long passes for the big touchdowns, and like strikers are the guy that scores the goals. And sometimes in sport, 
those guys that do the flashy thing are also the ones that have the biggest egos. Um, how concerned are you that this behavior is a problem and is going to impact his role going forward? Or do you think it's more of what I've just described, kind of strikers like scoring and teams not giving him chances right now? Yeah, yeah. So so on the pitch, I'm I'm not really concerned at all. I mean, I'm concerned in that, like Paul said, I'm sure he's not really enjoying it because he's getting absolutely no We're service. We're not either. And, yeah, <laughs> We're not yeah, either. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... I, I see. Uh, I was I was absolutely shocked um, after the City game when I saw loads of people say he wasn't trying. And I was like, really? I thought he ran his balls off against City. It's just he was Amen. running after. Yep. He's just running after like aimless long balls. Um, but he was doing it and he was pressing. I, 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 I found it amazing. And uh, I, I mean, this is another subject. I think there's a lot of unconscious bias that goes into into this sort of thing about um, certain players as well. Um, but maybe that's not a subject uh, for here and now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so, like, I, I don't have any qualms about his work rate or anything like that. Um, I think he's working hard. He's just getting like absolutely no service. He had that one chance um, on Saturday and, you know, it just kind of came off like his ankle and, and he didn't quite get it, but he got it on target and it's a good save. And, and, you know, if that goes in, then we're saying, you know, that there's, there's like why you have a clinical striker and all of that. And like you said about strikers, like, do you think Ian Wright was good fun in the dressing room sometimes? Do you think Henri was, do you think Van Persie was like, you know that's kind of the price you pay, and and I really think, um, particularly Arsenal fans, like we we've got to shake ourselves out of um, of some of this. You know, like it's it's a bit like you know the whole Sanchez thing when we had Sanchez, and it's like oh he gives the ball away a couple of times mm-hmm. a game, and it's like fucking get real. That's what and that's what Pepe's going to do as well. He's going to try and beat three players, and he's not going to do it every time. But don't get annoyed with him because. He will do it once, once or twice a game. He'll do it, and it will create something. And that—that that is just the tariff you pay for having guys who make the difference. They will annoy you sometimes. That's—that's just—that's part of the deal. Like Ronaldo, Bale, all of these players do that. Neymar, you know, annoys the absolute fuck out of people, but he'll win you games. Um, and I, th- I think I feel like I don't know what I don't know how we got ourselves into this mindset um, of like wanting our kind of flair attacking players, our, our match winners, our difference makers to become like, you know, uh, top, you know, top button done up, um, mm. you know, shiny shoes and all of that. Why we wanted them to become like, you know, droids effectively. I, I just don't think that's how it works. Um, um, slingers aren't normal people. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, look. This is a guy who pulled a a Black Panther mask out of his, you know, whatever he had it hidden, and put it on after scoring a goal. Here's a guy who does a a flip after you know almost every goal he scores. Like he clearly likes that spotlight. Gold plated Lamborghini. Yes. Yes. I mean, what do you expect? He's flamboyant. (laughs) Exactly, and and that's why he's good at what he does. Um, As as for the off pitch stuff, like I mean, look. I don't think it's particularly smart, his brother leaving comments like that on social media. And I, I think he's probably old enough and been around the block enough, um, at, you know, a couple of big clubs now to know exactly how that looks. I do think it's a little bit of a storm in a teacup. And like you said, uh, and, you know, like Paul always says, like, good results fix everything, don't they? Like, no one no one cares about this stuff when you're winning. Um, 
you know, I, I don't think we're going to get into the discussion about uh, AFTV and stuff like that. No, but I'd like, like to like, skip that if that's okay. Yeah. 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 Like that's been done to death. Like no one cares about that stuff when you're playing well um, and winning quite frankly. And, and I think it's not ideal, but I don't think it's a massive deal. And look, Aubameyang is probably going to go in the summer. Can't blame him. And he's going to be 31 in June. So even if, even if he had he like a couple of years of contracts, yeah, yeah, we, we've got to turn him over anyway. Um, we got his prime years. He's given us loads and loads of goals. Unfortunately, it's just come at a really shit time. Um, and that's unfortunate for him and for us, but it is what it is. So to be honest, I'm not that worried because I think he's going to go in the summer. And if he was 25, that would break my heart. But at 31, I'll, I'll deal with it. You know what I think is weird, Tim? And, and I don't want to get too deep on this. As a, I, I don't want to turn it into a um, generational debate. I don't want to turn it into a against modern football debate, anything like that. But like the same people who get annoyed, like I'm not trying to beat up on We Care Do You. It was a really nice idea in the summer, but like they put out a statement that was like, here are the things we'd like you to do, Mikel Arteta. And one of them was like players wearing suits off the team coach and not wearing headphones when they walk into the stadium. And like there's a lot of people of a certain age who were totally fine with the idea that their players went out on the lash after wins and like won yeah. titles with players who were legitimately alcoholics who have a problem yeah. with like guys wearing headphones now. And it it does seem yeah. to me to be a little bit of a question of like, these are top athletes who take care of their body, who commit 100% to a an athlete's lifestyle and the way we sort of want to control their behavior to some extent, I think, is not compatible with what we seem to be totally fine with in, in years gone by. So, uh, you yeah. know, I do wonder if race plays into that. Maybe we'll touch on that. I wonder if, you know, the the amount of money they make or the, the feeling that the club has become distanced from the community and that's changed people's connection to the players. But I think it's all bound up in there. Mm -hmm. And to, to the point about Aubameyang leaving, he is 31. You cannot sign a striker who's going to be 32 years old to a three-year or four-year deal with our club in nope. the state. It's, you can't. Nope. You cannot afford to lose him for free. And once you agree nope. that we cannot give him money at 32 and also agree that we cannot lose him for free, you have no other yep. conclusion, but we must sell him. So this is the yep. end of Aubameyang at Arsenal, and I would just say let's bleed him for whatever goals we can get out of him and, and move yep. on from it. In any event, uh, Paul had to run. He had an emergency. Tim is on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. The good news is there's exciting football coming up. We've got uh, Christmas and Boxing Day, and then Arsenal play at Bournemouth with Mikel Arteta at the helm. We're very excited about that. we got lots of uh, podcasts coming up in the next few weeks. Um, yeah, just constant, nonstop podcasts. Like, it's kind of like that video. What's that show, Tim, the, the British show, where it's like, all oh, the football is happening all the time. It never ends. Oh. That Mitchell and Webb look, yeah. Yeah, that Mitchell and Webb look. God, find that clip. It's so great. But yeah, all the podcasts will be happening all the time. So uh, we do love you. We hope you have, if you are celebrating Christmas or Hanukkah, which is currently going on, we hope you have a wonderful holiday. Whatever you're celebrating, whatever you're doing, we hope you're doing well. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Bournemouth New. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.